Welcome to the Buckhead Church Podcast. At Buckhead Church, we are for Atlanta because we believe that God is for Atlanta. And these days, it's more important than ever to be known by what we're for. And we hope this podcast helps you in your life and faith. We want to help you find greater hope with fewer regrets because we are for you. If it's your first time with us, head over to buckheadchurch.org slash new so we can meet you and send you a free For Atlanta gift on us. If you're not already receiving weekly emails from us, make sure to head to our website, scroll to the bottom, click stay informed and sign up today. The best way to keep up with everything going on is to follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Buckhead Church app. But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy. Well, today we're concluding our series, Check Your Heart. Um, Before we jump to that, I just want to say I'm glad uh, you could be with us, even those of you who are traveling during the holidays, if you've gotten roped in by some friends and family that normally are here on Sunday at our church and uh, you're joining us today, I want to say welcome to you. If you're here for the first time, uh, we're so glad you came, but you're kind of coming in at the end of the movie, so I'm going to catch you up in just a second. Um, But this is a series we kicked off just a few weeks ago, and it's centered around a, a single verse. The primary motivation of the series is, comes from this admonishment or this encouragement by the wisdom writer, Solomon, uh, in the Proverbs. And he said, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above everything else, it's, it's sort of to prioritize. Above everything else, to prioritize your heart. It, it, it's almost as if he's saying the spiritual or the emotional condition of your heart is even more important than the physical condition of your heart. And we said the first week that the, the heart and the scriptures, it's, it, it represents the control center of your life. It, it's your mind, your will, your emotions, your attention, the things that, that guide your life. And the idea is that your heart, what's in your heart spills over into what's in your life. It spills over into your thoughts and your beliefs and your actions. And, and it impacts the health of your relationships. It impacts your professional health, your personal health. Um, your relational health. And so we've been talking about this in the last few weeks because um, those things that are downstream from our heart um, are impacted by our heart. And we've been talking about uh, some heart monitors. Jesus gave us some heart monitors uh, to, to monitor the condition of our heart. There's lots of, again, lots of monitors, lots of tests to, to test the physical condition of our heart. But the first of our heart monitors in week one was this, is Jesus said, what you say flows from what's in your heart. And the idea is that if, if you pay attention to what's in your heart, you can store two different types of things in your heart. You can store good things and you can store evil things. And if you pay attention to what's coming out of your mouth, you monitor your words, it indicates what you're storing inside your heart. And then last week, we shifted from what we're storing in our heart to where we're storing our treasure. And it turns out you can store your treasure two different places. Uh, You can uh, either store it here on earth uh, in the here and now, or you can store it later. You can invest it later in in heaven, into God's kingdom. And we were challenged by this idea. And Jesus said this. He said, but here's the thing. Wherever your treasure is, wherever you're investing your treasure, the desires of your heart are going to be there also. They're going to follow your treasure. And your heart is always on the move. And it's following the direction of your treasure. Your heart's always moving towards what you're investing in and what you're spending your treasure on. Today, we're going to talk about heart monitor number three. We're going to look at a third heart monitor. But before we get to that, I didn't think we could do a series on the heart without addressing one significant Southern phrase that sounds religious. And it's this phrase right here, bless your heart. Anybody with me? Like, we kind of need to unpack this for just a second. And the people I really feel like I need to unpack it for is transplants. I mean, I'm a transplant to the South. Um, I grew up in the North. I've lived here longer than I have anywhere else. But this one took me a minute to figure out. 
Like, what, what are people saying? And, and so if, if you're a transplant or if you don't live in the South and somebody has said this to you, you're not sure exactly how to react because you're not sure exactly what they mean, I'm here to help you understand this. It works like a pie chart. You may not have known this. Uh, I like charts. It works like a pie chart. And um, there's different ways people use this phrase. And you can't always tell by their tone. Sometimes you can you can't always tell by the person that it's coming from, the, the, the person that's saying it, although sometimes you can. But there's at least four different ways this, this is used. And the first one is that I feel bad and I want to help. Um, but make no mistake, this is the least amount of the uses, usages of bless your heart. Is that I, that I feel bad, I really do feel bad, and I, and I really want to help. More likely is that I'm, I'm going to let you work this out on your own, okay? Just bless your heart, you know, be on your way. It's just, Lord, I'm going to let you work it out. Um, even more frequent than that is, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to feel bad, um, but I, I don't right now. I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to care, but I don't actually care. And then the most common one, and you're going to have to help me finish this phrase, the most common one, the most common thing, just in case you don't realize what people may mean by this, the most common meaning of this is, mama said, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. And that's sort of the idea. It's like, I can't tell you what I'm really thinking, so bless your heart. Now, that's sort of, that's sort of funny, but it's, here's the thing, it's often true. And actually, um, to the to the spirit of that, I want to talk about what Jesus, something that Jesus talked about related to our heart. When we see people who are sort of in a pathetic situation, a pitiful situation, or a difficult situation, or they're in need. And this today, this, this, this story he tells, this, this, this principle that he unpacks, it's so convicting, which I know some of you are thinking, I'm so glad I came today. It's so convicting. And we, we got to have a little conviction if we're going to do a series on the heart. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open it to Luke chapter 10. You can go to that, that place in the scripture. And I hope you're glad you came. You are going to experience some conviction in your heart. But this is something that I think is so important to what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And, and Jesus's primary invitation, some of you know this, Jesus came as a rabbi, came as a teacher, and he came, he, his, his self-proclamation was that he came to help people find life. And he used this phrase, everlasting life, which can mean an eternal life, a, a life that's overflowing, a fullness of life. And, and there was many times uh, the, the religious leaders or the experts in the law would, would test Jesus or they would try to contradict Jesus. And there, on this particular occasion, that when he tells this story, one of the experts in the re religious law, maybe it was a Pharisee or a scribe, but either way, it was somebody who understood the law inside and out. They came to Jesus with a question. And he said, okay, you, you talk all about this life, this everlasting life, this eternal life. How do I enter into this life? How do I get this life that you're talking about? And Jesus, as he often did, he responded with a question. His question was, well, what does Moses say? I mean, you're the expert. You're saying this is something that I say, but I'm not trying to contradict anything that Moses said. And so Jesus, knowing exactly what this guy's getting at, he points him back to the law and he says, well, what does Moses say? And the man answered, he said this. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind which this would have been the, the typical answer. I mean, this is right down the middle. This, is, this is the, was known as the Shema. This was part of a prayer that, that the Jewish people, the Hebrew people were taught to, to pray every morning and every night. It, this is what they were to aspire to. But then, then the, this expert in the law, this scribe, being sort of astute to, to what Jesus had been teaching, he, he added something that, that actually comes out of Leviticus. And he added this, not because it had ever been connected to the Shema before. He added it because he had heard Jesus teaching this. 
You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, exactly. That's right. And then there was silence. And experts going, and? Like, isn't there more? And I think Jesus just sat there and waited. And, and so the, 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 there was a question, obviously, behind the question because his experts come to test Jesus and, and there's a contra- apparent contradiction and he says, okay, so, so who is my neighbor? If, if I'm to love my neighbor as myself and that's what it is to love God, who is my neighbor? Because neighbor in the Old Testament and, and the expert would have known this and Jesus would have known this. It was clearly described in the Old Testament as people, the, the, the people that were among your own people. That's who your neighbors were. And, and Jesus was teaching something just the opposite and not just the opposite, he had expanded it. Jesus was teaching people to love their enemies and to do good to people that hate them. And this was beyond among their people. And so the, 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 the scribe or, the, or the, the Pharisee, his question, this question behind the question is sort of like, I, I got you, like this is the test. And so instead of answering the question directly, Jesus did what he did often. He told a story. And it's this famous story of the good Samaritan. If you know the story, here's what I'm going to ask you. Don't run ahead. Uh, You may know, you may have heard this story a whole bunch of times. I want to try to help us today see this through Jewish eyes. That's who who his primary audience is. Jesus is going to tell a story about a Jewish man, but he's telling it to a Jewish crowd. Now, there may have been others around, but this scribe would have been teaching, or this, this, this teacher of the law, this expert in the law, he would have been teaching other people. He would have been teaching other Jewish people about the law, about Torah. And so there's a Jewish audience, and there, he's sort of testing them in front of this Jewish audience. So Jesus tells a story and he says, look, a Jewish man, which invites them all into the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. Now, this doesn't mean anything to any of you unless you've been to this part of the world and you know that the road he's talking about is the Jericho road. Here's a, here's a profile of the Jericho road. He, he was traveling from Jerusalem. It would have been worse going north, but he was coming south from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And this is a long trek, 17 miles downhill. It's a 3,300-foot descent. Uh, Jerusalem is about 2,800 feet above sea level. You can see sea level here. And Jericho is actually about 800 feet below sea level. So it's a long trek, and, it, and it's treacherous in places. My wife and I, for her 40th birthday, we, we hiked the Grand Canyon rim to rim. And the first part of the hike from the North Rim to the, to the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon is about, it's about 18 miles, and it's, and it's downhill like this. It's about the same distance. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's tiring. It's a long trek. And this path, this specific path, um, it wasn't manicured like the one we were on. It's, rem- it's a remote region, and, and much of it has paths that are just really narrow, like six to eight feet wide. I don't know if you can even see this, but there's a path that comes up this way, and it curves around here. And it's really remote, like there's, there's hardly anything out there. There's, there's, no, there's no development. And, and in one particular place, in, right in the middle of the, of the journey, is something called the Wadi Kelt. And it's a place where um, it drops off a few hundred feet into a canyon. Here's a picture of the Wadi Kelt. And you can see the, the vegetation down here in the darkness. And the reason this was, this was um, this such a dangerous, notice such a dangerous place is because nobody wanted to go down in here. Now today there's a monastery that's built on the side of the, the rocks. But down here, this is actually the region that most people believe David was describing in, in Psalm 23 when he talked about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. 
Because nobody makes it through the valley of the shadow of death. The darkness and the vegetation, it allowed bandits to hide. And so it, there, there was like this, this really dangerous side. And so the Jericho Road, was, it was notorious for danger and difficulty. And so this Jewish man, he was attacked by the bandits, these bandits. And, and they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him up and they left him half dead beside the road. But by chance, a priest came along. We don't know what kind of chance, but by chance a priest came along. And when he saw the man lying there, he actually crossed over to the other side of the road to pass him by. And what do you think about it? The image Jesus is trying to, to create for them in this story that he, he seemingly has made up. I mean, maybe this, 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 it's so realistic to, to life when they, when, as they're listening that people got, got accosted by bandits all the time. But the image he's trying to draw up is, hey, there's a mountainside and you're walking along this road and you literally are going to have to, 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 to travel. This priest travels over to the other side of the road, closer to where the cliff drops off. And this is a dangerous place. It's a dangerous road and who knows where the bandits are. But he, he literally may have risked his life to go around this person that was, that was in need along the side of the road. And second, a, a temple assistant. Some of you know the story. Or your translation might say a Levite. He walked over and he actually looked at the man lying there, but he also crossed over and path, uh, passed on the other side. And then, Jesus says, then a despised Samaritan came along. Now, this is the part, this is the twist in the story. This is what the Jewish people wouldn't be expecting because... Uh, most, if not all of them who were listening, they would have assumed that the Samaritans were the bandits. That, that the, the guy who had gotten attacked was attacked, the Jewish man that got attacked was attacked by a Samaritan because Samaritans hated Jewish people and Jewish people hated Samaritans. So they would have, even if, even if it wasn't him, their bias would have said, it was probably a Samaritan that did this. And so Jesus says, then a Samaritan, a Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt something for him. Now, if you know what goes in the blank, I, I don't want you to rush ahead. Like, because here, here's, here's the point. The first point is what goes in the blank actually determines what happens next. Not just for, for, for this man, for this Samaritan man, but for all of us. The, the truth is, is what, what's really in the blank determined what came next. And, and the priest and the Levite, when they came along, they, you know, the priests and Levites saw and they felt something. And the truth is, is what we see, what we see, and this is, this is part of Jesus' point, what we see determines what we feel. And the priests and the Levites saw something, they saw this man in need, and it caused him to feel something. Now, we don't, we don't, I, don't, I don't know their exact stories, but, but here's the thing. Jesus' audience, being Jewish, they would have had all sorts of objections at this point, all sorts of reasons why the priest and the Levite might have, might have passed by. The expert in the law, if he had given Jesus time, I mean, he would, he would have probably interjected, but this is why this is important. The Jewish audience is much like you and I. And the, the point that Jesus is making is, is that you're either like the priest or you're like the, the Levite or you're like the Samaritan. When, when you see people in need, you see something and you feel something. And for some of us, like, like maybe the priest, this situation feels uncomfortable. And, and it feels uncomfortable for lots of reasons. One, because they're on a dangerous road. And he's traveling on a dangerous road. He doesn't know if the bandits are nearby. Beyond that, and, and this is what the expert of the law would have said, Leviticus 21 required the priest to, say, to stay clean. 
And, and connecting with or coming in contact with somebody who was unclean, a Samaritan they considered unclean, or somebody who was something that was dead or half dead, that would have made him unclean and would have kept him from being able to do his priestly duties. And so, so this, this made him feel uncomfortable. Not only that, it was inconvenient. I, the, the priest and the Levite, they're, they're busy people. And, and I don't just say this like, you know, like sarcastically, like, they were on their way. They were probably traveling to go do something specific. They probably had some orders or they had, they had some good work that they needed to go do. They needed some religious work they needed to go do. And this, they didn't have time for this. Not only did they not have time, the, the, the truth is, is they were ill-equipped. This, this man needed help beyond what they could provide. He needed professional help. He needed medical help. And they weren't, they weren't, they weren't in the business of medical help. They, they were, they were uh, priests. They were religious people. And here's the thing. All of this is fair. Oops. All of this is fair. But here's the thing you need to know. is more important than what they saw and they felt was what they didn't see. And what they didn't see was they didn't see themselves. Remember the context for the, for the, for the story? The context for the story is in the question of how do I enter into life? How do I experience the type of everlasting life? How do I follow you into experiencing the type of life you want me to have? And, and the, the, the expert of the law said, well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you do that by loving your neighbor as yourself. It turns out that that's the key. The question that changes everything about what we see and about what we feel is the question, what if that were, what if that were me? What if that person along the side of the road, what if that person in need was me? Because that question changes everything. It changes everything about not only what you see and what you feel, but it changes how you act. Several years ago, my wife and I, we had first moved out to Arizona. We lived out there for a little while. We, um, we were headed on our first trip to California, and we had three kids at the time. My wife was pregnant with a fourth, and we're headed to California, and it's about a six-hour drive, and um, it's June. So the kids have gotten out of school. It's June. We're, we're headed uh, to go uh, over the mountains to California. It's supposed to be about a six-hour drive, but with little kids, it's going to be a lot longer than that. So we just, we get through the traffic in Phoenix, and we had to go through Phoenix, we're going out I-10, and we're headed out to western Arizona. There's like nothing out there. You get out there, and then you get to the mountains, and you go over the mountains, and basically on the other side, you, you go into California. And, and so we're, we're headed out there, and, um, and I, I looked down, and I was like, gosh, we're getting low on gas. And so, I, you know, the kids were, were resting. I didn't want to wake anybody up. Jen was kind of had her eyes closed, resting. So I pull out my phone. I'm trying to figure out, like, how far to the next gas station and I realized, gosh, this is going to work out really great. There's a place called Desert Center. Desert Center. It's right before you get to the mountains. And I can see the mountains way in the distance. And I'm like, gosh, it's, a right, it's about, about the perfect mileage. I, I map it to two. There's two gas stations that are listed on the maps there. And I map it to the gas stations. And it's like, it's going to be perfect. Like, we're going we're gonna to have about five to ten miles of gas to spare, which some of you know, like, that, there's a game that's just sort of fun to play. You know, you play that game. So... So I decided, you know, that's the perfect place to stop. So, you know, I just, I just put down my phone and like, we just kept going. And, and so we're on our way there. We're getting closer and I'm watching the gas gauge and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I mean, is it really that accurate when you get to zero miles to empty? Is it really zero miles to empty? And so I'm getting down. It's like 10 miles till empty and five miles till empty. And then, 
And then I, I was starting to get nervous, but then I saw the exit. And as we're pulling off, we're at two miles to empty, but we're pulling off the exit and there's two gas stations, but they're abandoned. There's no gas at these gas stations. And so we pull off the road and I'm like, oh gosh, we're in trouble. There's nobody there. There's no, the whole exit is abandoned. And so we pull off into the gas station and we pull underneath one of the little awnings, which in June in Arizona, it's hot. I mean, it's like really hot. Like I think that day it was 118 degrees. I'm tempted to say it's 120, but it's all the same over 105. It's just hot. And so we're in the car. We got two miles till empty of gas. Who knows long, how long the, the car's going? So I'm mapping it. I'm realizing it's about 25, 30 minutes to go back to the previous gas station and about 35 to 40 minutes to go up the hill to get to the next gas station. And I don't have enough gas to go to either one. And I notice a sign that's posted over on the side of one of the buildings. And the sign says, need gas, question mark, which I'm thinking, yes, I do. And, and there's a phone number. And underneath the phone number, it says $25 a gallon. I'm thinking that's extortion, but I need gas. And so I'll pay whatever, whatever it takes. I have my pregnant wife and three little kids in the car. I'm like, $25 sounds great. Sounds like a deal to me. So I call the number and I get a voicemail. I call it again. I call it again. I call it again. Nobody's answering. I'm thinking we're in trouble. Like, I don't, I don't, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere close. I'm mapping different directions. Like in every direction, there's nothing. And so just, just about then, a, a guy pulls up in his truck. I didn't see him get off the exit. I don't know where he came from. He pulls up in a truck, the, the front of the truck, the engine's smoking on the truck. It's like a big F-250 work truck with a flatbed and some big machine on the back of it. And he pulls up underneath the awning and um, he, he gets out. He's on his phone. And it's apparent he's talking to somebody about the car trouble. He's had the, the trouble he's having with his truck. I think his water pump went bad. And so, so anyway, uh, I, I start walking over to him. And he kind of gives me the, just a second. And so he gets off the phone. He goes, hey, you having car trouble? And I was like, I'm not actually. I, I'm having um, judgment trouble about when I should have gotten gas um, headed to, to, to California. I said, it's our first time. We just moved to Arizona. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, uh, there's a lot of people that run into that. And I was like, Good to know. So um, could have known, it would have been better to know that 30 miles back. But anyway, so, so he, he said, so, um, so you just need some gas to get up the hill. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, do you have a hose? And I'm like, no, I don't have a hose. Like, what's that going to do for me anyway? He's like, well, I got, I got my welder on the back of my truck. So he pulls his truck over next to my car. And he's got this welding machine on the back of his truck. And it's got a big gas can attached to it. And he's like, I'll put enough gas in your car, you'll get up the hill. And so, but I don't have a hose. And he goes, well, let me see if I can find one. So he goes back in his tool bag, his toolbox, and he pulls out this hose. It's, in, it's already, it's still in a package. It's got nice brass endings on both. He pulls it out. He literally cuts with a knife. He cuts off both of the brass endings. that are the, the nice uh, couplets on, the, on the, either side of the, the hose, ruins the hose. And he gets, he gets up on the truck, puts the hose in, climbs down off the truck, and he starts about to siphon. I was like, no, 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 I'll siphon the gas. Like, you don't need to do that. I mean, that's they, like, I'm the one that needs the gas. He goes, yeah, but this is disgusting. And I'm like, I know, but I'm the one that, that was the idiot that didn't get the gas, and so I should pay the penalty. He's like, no, no, I've done this a whole bunch of times. It's no problem. And at that moment, I was like, I don't know if I'm encouraged or discouraged by the fact that he's done this a whole bunch of times, but... I'm grateful he's willing to do it. So he siphons the gas and spits out some gas. He gets some in his mouth. He puts it in my tank and he starts, gas starts flowing. So we just small talk. We start talking and, you know, where are you headed? He's headed to do some work in California. Where are you from? It turns out he literally lives like a mile down the road from me, two miles down the road from me in a neighborhood in the, the town that we live in, in the Phoenix area. 
I mean, he's literally my neighbor. Like, didn't know this. He didn't know this, but he's literally my neighbor. So we get, we get the gas in there. I'm like, listen, I'm so thankful. I get, get in the car. I talk to my wife and I'm like, how much cash do you have between us? Well, I think we had about 200 bucks. And I'm like, I'm just going to give him the 200 bucks. Like, this guy has saved our lives. I'm so grateful. And so I go back and we get the tube out and whatever. I'm like, hey, thank you so much. And, and I go to give him the 200 bucks. He's like, I don't know. You don't owe me anything. And I said, what, what do you mean I don't owe you anything? I was like, I ruined your, go buy yourself a new hose, get some gas. Like, I mean, I, mean, I, 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 I need to pay you for, for what you did. He goes, no, 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 that's not why I did it. He's like, I, I don't need your money. He goes, I have a family. And if, if I was in the situation that you were in, if I had my pregnant wife and three little kids in the car, I would want somebody to do for me what I'm doing for you. And I thought, there it is. He saw himself in the situation and he thought, what if that were me? What would I want someone to do for me? And the Samaritan, I believe he saw himself in the situation. And when he saw the man along the road, he felt compassion for him. See, compassion compels us. The Samaritan sees this man, even though he's a Jewish man, even though he's nothing like them, he sees the man and he goes, that could be me. And if it was, what would I want something to do, want somebody to do for me? So going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and he bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. And in Jesus' audience, when the Jewish people are listening, few in his audience would have ever done this for a Samaritan, and nor would they have ever expected a Samaritan to do this for a Jewish person. This was sort of unthinkable. Jesus goes on, he says, the next day, which would sort of have been laughable. It's like, you mean he spent all night with the guy? He took care of him all night? The next day, he says, the next day he, he, took, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him to take care of this man. And if his bills run higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. These two silver coins would have, would have been valued at, at such a, an amount that it would have taken care of this man at, at an inn in those days for, for up to two months is, is what, what scholars think. And so here, here's what I want you to notice. He didn't complete the whole job. He didn't fix the whole problem. But he did what he could with what he had. And he had compassion on the man. He did what he would have wanted somebody to do for him. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's redefining neighbor. He's expanding it beyond physical and ethical borders. He's he's causing us to think about neighbor in a completely different way. No no longer can anyone limit neighbor just to the people that live around them or just to the people that are among them or people that look like them or sound like them or talk like them or act like them or vote like them. Neighbor was anybody who's in need that's around you. And Jesus did this. He kind of brought it home with a a well-timed, perfectly delivered question. And here was his question. His question to the expert in front of all the people listening. He said this. This this question that that causes us to examine our hearts. He says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Or... Jesus' question behind the question to the expert. Which of these three loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all his soul, and with all his mind, and with all his strength, loving him like he would want someone to love 
himself? Answer is, is neither of the religious guys, neither of the guys who knew all the law, neither of the guys who knew Torah probably had studied it and memorized it, neither of the guys who knew all the chapter and verse, who knew all the right rituals, who kept all the laws, neither one of those guys did. And it seemed like a rhetorical question at this point. It seemed like Jesus made his point, but the man wanted to respond. And so the expert, he replied. And he said, the one who showed him mercy, which I think Jesus included this. I think this was included in the story. Because the man couldn't even identify him as a Samaritan. The Jewish scribe couldn't bear to acknowledge his identity because of what was in his heart. So Jesus said, yep, that's the right answer. Now, go, and you do the same. See, Jesus cut through all the excuses. He pulls back on the curtain, the the curtain on what's most important. And the point that Jesus is making is your heart for God is revealed by your heart for your neighbor. Loving someone, and you know this, if you love people, loving someone involves caring about and caring for um, the, the things that those people care about the people that those people care about, the things that those people care about. That's how you love somebody. And, and, and you hear this all the time. It's like we, we hear in the scriptures that David was a man after God's own heart. What does it mean to have a heart for God? What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And this was the question that the, that the, um, the, the scribe was asking first. What does it mean to have a heart for God? What does it mean for your heart to beat for God? If you want to have a heart that beats for God, this is what Jesus said. He said, if you want to have a heart that beats for God, you have to have a heart that beats for what God's heart beats for. And the truth is, is God loves people right around you that are in need. And those people, he called your neighbors. And if you want to have a heart for God and you want to love God, you have to love your neighbor like you love yourself. See, God measures your love for him, by how you love the people right around you who are in need. And the Samaritan, he saw the need and he met it. And he knew the price. He chose to pay it. And he didn't talk himself out of it. He didn't talk himself out of it because it was uncomfortable or it was inconvenient or, or maybe because he wasn't equipped. He saw the need and he stepped in and he, he met it. So here's my question for you. As we've been talking, what came to mind? Who came to mind? My guess is, is recently you've seen somebody in need, maybe not stranded alongside the road or maybe stranded alongside the road. And there, I, I get it, there's wisdom in all these things. But some of you, in addition to that, you've seen people who, who right, right around you who, whose marriage is in crisis or they're in financial trouble or they, they, they've, they've, they've got hooked on some substance or they're abusing some substance and it's created mess, a messy situation in, in their life. And, and, and it's not just physical things, it's emotional things. There's some people that you know that are just hurting and you, you feel like, oh gosh, this is, this is gonna be heavy and this is gonna wear, wear me down and... But they need somebody to encourage them. They need somebody to, be, to, to have mercy on them. They need somebody to be kind to them. On top of that, there's people all around us with spiritual need. 
People in your neighborhood, people in your office, people that, that, that are on your kids' sports teams, people that are in your social circles. And, and you've seen them. You see them searching for things. You see them searching for life. You see them searching for the life that Jesus has promised that you know they can find in him. But they're far from God. They haven't understood what it is to have a relationship with God through Jesus and follow him and find that life that he's promised. The truth is, is you've seen those people in need. My guess is you've taken account for what the cost is, but to this point, you've talked yourself out of it. And maybe it's because it's uncomfortable. Maybe it's because it's inconvenient. Maybe you feel ill-equipped. But the truth is, is if you want to know if your heart beats the way God's heart beats, if you want to know what it is to have a heart for God and to love, the, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it involves having compassion and getting involved. I have a friend who's a mentor. His name's Gary. For years, uh, we met on a regular basis. And, and Gary, uh, on one occasion, he was telling me about uh, one of his greatest fears. And we, we had been talking about heaven. And he said, look, when we get on the other side of this life, I'm not sure how this is all going to work out. But here's what I'm most terrified of. What I'm most terrified is, is getting on the other side of this life and running into somebody who I knew, who I was friends with, who I never shared with, who I never shared the love of Christ with, who I never told about, uh, about the life they can have in Jesus. And that person looking at me and, 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 and in the moment being dumbfounded and going like, you knew this is how this was going to all end? Like, you knew that, that this is the way things were going to go? And then he said this, and these words haunted me for a long time. He said, I'm afraid they're going to say, Gary, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you invite me? Why didn't you help me? I mean, you, you knew this is the way things were headed and you didn't love me enough to tell me? That marked me for a long time. And to be totally honest, until recent, thinking about that story again, um, I kind of detached my heart from that idea. But that's what it is to have a heart for God. Here's the thing I, I don't want you to feel. I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to get curious. I want you to be really curious. What keeps you from true compassion, the type of compassion that compels you to act when you see people in need? Is there some sort of bias or prejudice or pride or apathy or hardness in your heart? Like what's keeping you from feeling the compassion, the type of compassion that asks the question, what if that were me? What if that were me? What if that were my brother or my sister or my roommate or my girlfriend or my wife or my child or my marriage? What if that were my reality? What would I want me to do for me? See, that's the question that changes everything. Because, and this is what you do. If you want to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, with your command center, if your command center is lined up and aligned with God's heartbeat, it causes you to love your neighbor 
the way you love yourself. Or the way you would want somebody to love yourself. When you were in need. When you were in a difficult situation. And that's what the Samaritan did. He saw the need and he met it. He knew the price and he paid it. In doing so, he acted out of love, not just for his neighbor, but for the Lord his God. Jesus said, now, you, go and do the same. I want you to love people the way I love them. I want you to see people the way I see them. Now, Here's the thing. My goal is not to make the guy on the exit ramp the happiest guy in the city of Atlanta today. Like, that's not, that's not my goal. If God moves you to, to help that guy, that's a, certainly a, a good application to, this, to, the, to the story. But the point of this series is your heart. This is what my question is. Is there something that's gotten lodged in your heart that keeps you from seeing people in need and wondering, what if that were me? Because it could be. This is also another interesting thing. It, the guy in the story, the Samaritan, he's known as the good Samaritan. Jesus was famous for saying that nobody's good but God. So, so this is the question. What makes the Samaritan good? You've heard he has a good heart. She has a good heart. They have a good heart. What makes a good heart somebody with a good heart? Jesus' answer is, how they respond to people that are right around them in need. And people that have compassion and they move into action, they reflect God's heart. Because they reflect the love that God has for them. And it reflects God's willingness to do for yourself what you could not do for yourself. It reflects God's heart and willingness to do the same for you when you were in need. The, the reason I should see, see and feel with compassion in my heart as if it was me is because it was me. And it is me. And it is you. Don't miss this. This has the greatest potential. If you've heard nothing else in this series, this has the greatest potential to renew and renovate and restore your heart. The self is not the center of this. All, all, my, all the drawings break down somewhere, which is hard for me to say because I like to do drawings, but the self is not the center of the heart. That's not what this is representing. What this is representing is a truth that's in 1 John 4. And the truth in 1 John 4 is that no one knows God if they do not love. And no one loves if they don't know God. Because God is love and God loved first and God loved you. And when you're able to receive God's love for yourself, that love can move outward to your neighbor. And in doing so, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all your mind and all your strength. God saw your need. He knew the price. He didn't talk himself out of it. He sent his son to the cross as a sacrifice for your life. And, and he sees your need where you are right now. And he knew the price and he was willing to pay it. And, and he never talks himself out of moving in your direction. Some of you are here today and the truth of, of what's gone sort of sideways in your heart is symptomatic when it comes to your words. 
Because those words that are coming out of your, 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 mind, your mouth, the things that you're saying to certain people when you realize there's something lodged in my heart, it's because your heart needs a renovation. It needs to be renewed. It needs to be transformed. And, and, and some of you, you're, you're chasing certain things with your treasure because you think they're going to make you happy because there's a hole in your heart and it needs to be filled with something. There's others of, others of us have a hard time having compassion for people around us because there's something wrong in our heart. And, and the scriptures, if they're clear about anything, is that God wants to provide a renovation for your heart. He wants to transform your heart. And so today, I want to give you an opportunity to sur- surrender your heart. The thing that we've been talking about, that's the control center of your life. Maybe at some point in your life, you said, I believe in Jesus and I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that, that he, he, he rose, that he, he was resurrected, and that he can provide me life. And maybe the thing that you've never done is you've never surrendered your whole heart, the control center of your life, to Jesus. And so I want to give you an opportunity today. I'd love for you all to close your eyes. And maybe you've been a Christian for a long time or would say you've been a Christian for a long time but maybe you've never been a Christian. You're going, I want to experience the type of life that Jesus promised because the type of life I'm experiencing is based on my own ability. And it's, it's not what I hoped for. It's not what I was wanting because my heart has led me astray. The truth is, is I want to give you an opportunity today to surrender your heart. And it's simple. I'd just love for you as a, as a, as a posture of your life, you, and anybody can do this, I'd just love for you to just turn your palms up. Nobody else is looking around. Just on your lap, just turn your palms up. It's a, it's a posture. It's an outward posture. Oftentimes the external posture of our lives dictates what's going on in our heart. So I just want you to turn your palms up in your own way and in your own words. Just say, God, come in. I surrender. I surrender my heart to you transform my heart. Align my heart to your heart. Help me to know what it is to, on a daily basis, surrender control to the direction you're leading me in. Cause the words that come out of my mouth to represent your truth and your life and your hope and your message and your grace and your mercy. Help me to invest my treasures in the things that that are eternal, the things that matter, the things that last forever, not just the things that I'm chasing after in this world that aren't really gonna satisfy me, that are gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna rust away and they're, they're gonna be lost eventually. And then help me to see people the way you see them. Help me to act as if you'd have me to act, as if I'm acting in a way that reflects what I would want somebody to do for me. Come in and do what I can't do. Transform my heart. I surrender to you today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. God, thank you for this place. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the opportunity we have in such a, with such a diverse group of people to practice this on a daily basis. People that don't look like us, people who don't vote like us, people don't live in the same neighborhoods as us. I just pray that we would be great at this in this place amongst our community, that it would spill over and we would do it for people outside of this place, that people would see your heart and experience your heart in our city. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. 
Once again, thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, we've made it super easy. First, you can hit the subscribe button to get these messages on your device every week. Second, you can download our app from iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your apps. Or third, you can check out our YouTube channel. Just search for Buckhead Church and make sure to subscribe. Have a great day.